Gary Anthony Fraser. That's the one. Welcome to Premeditated Partner. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. A Merry Christmas to you and everybody watching because it's Christmas Day. That's why we're wearing the Santa hats. Quit this thinking. wasn't filmed on a uh, Tuesday. No, it wasn't. It was filmed on Wednesday. <laughs> no, it's Tuesday, in fact. Three days to get this bastard off. No, my flip flop, my tag. How's things, brother? Not bad, mate. Not bad. It's uh, good to be back in Govan. I know, mate. When's the last time you were in Govan? Uh, I think I was doing scene Steg. I was working with some refugees and I took them down to Sunny Govan and got this wee laddie for, I think it was for Afghanistan or something, got him into the studio doing Sunny Govan. Was it the, was it, is it the Refugees in Exile or something that's called? Well, I was working with, who was I working with? The Scottish Refugee Council. So I ended up working with all these wee guys for fucking Ethiopia, Afghanistan and fuck, just horrendous lives and mm-hmm. then suddenly here. So, aye, they say it was one of the best experiences that they've had since they've been here. So it was brilliant, man. So shout out to Baz and uh, the rest of them as oh, well. Oh, was it Baz? Uh, remember that he came to the supply ah, demand? Baz, uh, aye. The, the wee guy had the, the, the draw of the joint and had a panic attack and sat in the ah, car. Aye. <laughs> Aye, what was his name again? Aye, because I ended up seeing him because they dropped me off. Aye, yeah. Just in tune, he'd. Aye, or something. Aye, aye, aye. He was, I was a bad guy, wasn't he? Aye. Because they didn't think it was a fag or something. Yeah, I think it was something mental like that and ended up sitting having a wee Friday moment in the car, like smoking, <laughs> tweaking, like, what the fuck? <laughs> Supply and demand's got a totally different meaning to that name, innit, man? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, how's Hank getting on with filming that? Is it on the back burner now, Supply and Demand? No, well. Uh, since the last time I've seen you, graduated for the National Theatre and National Film and Television School, um, and basically developing supply and demand as a longer format thing. So I right. think when we tried to do it before, you could see how difficult it was to, to even accomplish a scene. So the, the, we shot two scenes, one with me and Chris as proof of concept, and then we shot one with Mark and Ben, and it took 10 hours to shoot one scene compared to we were trying to shoot five in a day mm-hmm. so it just wasn't working so where we are at the moment is working with a, light, a writer called Louise and she's now sort of drafting it up I think the idea is that we'll probably they want to tempt fate but I think we've got to try and pitch it as a TV series rather than a feature film and right. that's the discussions with the screenwriters because I think with Covid and that which is as a film director I'm having to be reactionary to it I think with Covid and that feature films are getting hardly anybody's got a cinema and nobody's buying the films the way it was done before so you've got to try and sort of where does it fit and I think with TV series and stuff like that more people are viewing this content so worst comes to worst I'll end up creating a metaverse and having it as fucking <laughs> <laughs> having people it as gifts Pilton, <laughs> avatars and all that but uh, I think that's the way to go because everybody's it's, it's series that's the new thing now see and I'm myself like, try to watch a film I've not got the attention span for it anymore but it's a series I'm like ah, oh what because yeah, it's like leaving it a cliffhanger kind of thing and you can watch it an hour at a time and stuff like that or you can break it down into smaller segments and, and it's a talking point for people see if you get enough people watching it it is a wee talking point because uh, it's not very often that you talk to somebody and you say oh, I watched a film last night oh it was about oh right and you need to try and explain it to somebody that's not seen it whereas if like say you watch The Wire and you explain it right, explain it to somebody like The Wire you, could, you be, can basically get right into it after watching a couple of episodes and people ah, I'll watch that and then it kind of it's a talking point for people well you could well, I guess for me like even with the grey that we're making just now like the way we're trying to write it uh, or no trying the way we're writing it is writing it for iPlayer and still making it as a movie so the good thing about a series is you can leave a cliffhanger mm-hmm. in a movie you can't leave a cliffhanger because you're there for 75 minutes Aye. but with a series you can end it and oh what happens next Aye, you you've got that anticipation yeah 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 you've got that anticipation what's uh, the platform you're kind of looking to release it on is it still going to be YouTube no definitely no definitely no we're trying to raise like a million and odd quid if no more for it so I think at the moment what we're trying to do is get the development funding first to get this to get the writing done and then 
I would hope, I don't know, like Netflix or, or a bigger, maybe no Netflix, but like something bigger, a bigger platform. And I think there's a lot of wee, like, Britbox, there's a lot of subscription platforms that have come over the last couple of years now that, that they want the they want the content and I think I'm in a position to create the content but you mm-hmm. need to spawn doulas. Do you know <laughs> I, mean? I think that's what was difficult before. I, I didn't want everybody paying their own bus fare, paying using their own costume. I want to pay people to work for me. Do you know what I mean? I want to make sure that, that people are, are are, are recuperated around me and I think that helps as well so yeah that's try to take it to that next again level but no matter what if it means that I'm running about pouting myself with an iPhone next year supply and demand is getting made it's not mm. like I'm asking for permission it's just that I'm trying to touch bases and the stuff that I've learned at film school has been invaluable for me so I'm trying to apply a lot of the stuff around the legalities and just a lot of chances that I took with supply and demand I'd probably wouldn't take them now because I've got a producer's hat on rather than a director right, as a director right. I just want everything done now uh-huh. if it's a gun scene if it's armed robbery just get it done but I think as a producer I have to be a wee bit more mature in that and, and need try. to rein yourself in a bit yeah absolutely because it's more on the business side it's more on the the health and safety side and it's more mature let's just say so trying to get that new essence in myself uh-huh. well. try to create a lot of kind of proper working environment yeah, as well it helps with everybody do you know what I mean mm-hmm. have you had much interest from investors nah uh, we've not really tried we've got Irvin Welsh on board as an exec producer right. so that's, that's really good um, but is he still on board now eh? yeah he's is came he, on board eh? only a couple of weeks ago so I watched Crime uh, which is good on uh, Britbox uh, I've seen. I've not seen it obviously I was in the jail when it came out but I bungled was in it it looks good man it looks good and then I think uh, I taking it to that next again level Amazing, mate, amazing. So if you mind taking the back, how's life for you growing up now? Because it was obviously totally different to the way you are now. I, if you're all right, we get no, into no, that. Of obviously. course, mate. You've, you've, I'm more than happy. Oh, that. That's all right. Can I take <laughs> off? Can it's I take the tag? Hat? I take it. Do you want to take it off? Is it too tight? No, no. I'll take, I'll take the tag off. It's like that. What the fuck? Somebody did a motorbike in my hallway there, man. Thank you to my, glam- oh, you to my glamorous assistant there. Right, see, Garrett, are you able to just kind of pull that mic seat back towards you? So it's just like about that. So see, you talking to me? Yeah. One, one, two for the Edinburgh crew. There we go. There, there we you go. go. So see, about you a bit further away from you then. And that's it. That's it. See, there you go. One, two, three, four. One there, so see. I've got a pure booming voice on that, so but I'm actually yeah, I'm I'm quite low on talking as well. That's uh, I, cause I thought that I thought that because even it was going to be me you and Ravy, I was going to use another mic and it's not the greatest, so I would have took that mic and give you this one because these are dynamic mics and I don't know that man's fucked anyway. That's a technical term. Aye, that's it. Technical difficulties. But uh, I so how was your earlier life growing up in that? Eh, uh, interesting. I, I think. Growing up in the middle of an HIV epidemic and heroin was, you didn't have an awareness of what you're growing up in as in, in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, pandemic's a buzzword now, but like mm-hmm. it was for, for me anyway. I've I seen people sort of pass away and become ill and stuff like that. So, like, growing up in that, I think I heard something recently that poverty as the father of criminality I think sometimes when you stay in a scheme you're forced to be a criminal mm-hmm. and it's not because your behaviours are criminalised because there's no opportunities and blah 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 so like for me just growing up and no hell but just trauma just absolute trauma and, and th- that's a, a buzzword now but we didn't know that word back then do you know what I mean so it was just yeah I guess being locked up at a young age and being through here being in the secure units and that through here it, it, it now makes me the man that I am today you know uh-huh. what I mean? that shaped you the person the other day as you say see it you're talking about obviously like you didn't know what trauma was back then that kind of stuff see back then like growing up in the midst of it did you have an idea that 
to you, obviously, that would have seen normal. At what point did you realise, wait a minute, that was some kind of environment I was living in? I think it was recent. I didn't even think this is something that I've... Like, I think maybe emotionally you might have knew that something was wrong, but, like, it wasn't really until I dealt with PTSD and, and tried to put a lot of that at, at bay, had the demons at bay, so to speak, that then you're sort of forced to confront yourself, you know, and, and I think it's every man and woman's duty in life is to master themselves. Mm -hmm. like, that's emotionally, physically and spiritually. Some people don't get it. Poverty creates stress and, and the mindset sort of uh, compounds that a wee bit as well. But when I was first getting clean, I got a drug habit for like 22 years, 23 years. And when I was first getting clean, they would say like, you need to go to these meetings and you need to do trauma counselling and, I went up to this place in Edinburgh called the River Centre and it was more traumatic for me got to go and he get help for trauma counselling because it's, it's difficult to admit about being abused. It's, a, it's difficult to admit a lot of stuff that's happened because you carry it around like a weight. Mm -hmm. So I felt like for the uh, for maybe up f until the last few years that a lot of that life experience, there's only so much writing you can do. There's only so much films you can do if, if you've not got comfortable with yourself. So I guess... It was a baggage before. It was an emotional baggage that I would carry with me, and and the drugs became a symptom. They they they, they masked it. You know what I mean? The smack, mm -hmm. the crack, all that shit. It just it became like oh this. I didn't even know why I was using. I just didn't know what to feel the way I was feeling. And now, obviously, it's different. So you you, you do a lot of work on like meditation and your emotional well being and self care and choices for myself. And most people, I don't know what it's like. I can only maybe speak on myself, but like. It's very easy to hate yourself when you come for a scheme. It's very easy to to look at everything that's wrong with you, and and that's that gets carried on through families. You know, alcohol plays a massive part in that in Scotland, mm -hmm. drugs especially. So to try and break free that is a is, is is a life challenge. It's not something that just happened and it doesn't happen anymore. It's a daily thing when you wake up in the morning. What kind of day you want do you know mm -hmm. what I mean a million percent because especially as you talk about see growing up in the middle of the AIDS pandemic like drugs is rife and as you say like, like, it's all carried through generations and families and that kind of thing so you're kind of breaking a generational kind of problem kind of thing as well because like, if you see your like, parents or whatever whoever you grew up around all taking drugs abusing substances it's all you really know so it's like it's it's breaking into a new normal which is very hard for a lot of people to do how do you know become a victim of your environment you know if everybody around you is jumping about with swords and i'm not even saying that was my case but like if everybody around you is jumping about with swords you think that's normal so you're desensitized for a lot of stuff and then before you know it you've got time to think but by the time that happens you've spent 22 years of your life in jail you know mm -hmm. like so and you'll see it in jail a lot of guys in jail they're no bad guys Aye. they're no bad people they've done one thing in their life that's been a massive mistake, but then they've got 10, 15 years and somebody's lost their life or it just, and the trauma then gets passed on because a lot of them maybe are fathers or, and they, they then can he be a father and then their kids are now raised like that as well. And that's what we do brilliantly in Scotland. You know, we, we especially, there's a middle-class system out there that takes all the scheme kids and just funnels them through a care system, funnels them through the YOs, funnels them through cons and then prescribes it at the end of it. Mm-hmm. That's just, what we did the best in Scotland, you know what I mean? You talk about an independent Scotland and all that sort of stuff, but unless you're changing the country that we're staying in, what's the point? You know, know. this shit needs to change. This is an unhealthy country, but I, it doesn't get seen like that in media because in media we're all, fuck knows what, you know, we're all happy, we're all... It's not the case, man, and, and, and I think we didn't look at what's beautiful in schemes, you know, we, did, we didn't look at 
the, the amazing stuff. We didn't look at all the good stuff in schemes. We just try and design them to be as ghettoized as possible. And, mm-hmm. and the, the people that, who, who win off it are either the big time drug dealers or the polis. Mm-hmm. There's a whole collateral damage underneath that. Aye, sorry, people at the bottom that are getting it. Yeah, that's the war on drugs. Aye, and it's pretty much it's like. When you look at talk about like Scotland in the media and that way it's portrayed, it's almost like Scotland's dirty wee secret with like the drug problem. Like, as if they don't want to, oh, it's there, but they just try and numb themselves it or just kid drug on it. It's crazy, right? So in Scotland, we've got the drug deaths. And the, the statistically, it's just, I think it's an addict every seven hours or something like that dies, right? I've never seen a film about it. Mm-hmm. I can't get funded to make films about this stuff. I can't get funded to make music about this stuff. Nobody wants it told. No. But we know that there's another reality that's known River City, that's known STV News, that's known Channel 4, that's known BBC, and it's why I think the need for the more, like the stuff that you're doing, the independent media, that's why it's like, of course I'd be blessed to come through here and honoured to come through and chat to you, because you know it's no bullshit, it's no a mainstream media person telling me, oh Gary, let's feel sorry for you, and let's have a, an intellectual wank over you, do you know <laughs> what I mean? And yeah, I just think that, that there needs to be merit that independent media and localised stuff, and I guess that's why I like hip-hop music so much. Mm-hmm. Definitely, because hip hop and that kind of bears the untold truth of places, and it has done since it's basically its inception. But that's the thing I like about doing things like this as well, because it is, it's speaking to it, it's, it's a good thing. No saying you're no famous, but see people that I just get, oh, the most famous person they know, obviously, and that's, get, it's the numbers up. But I prefer just to get people with goat stories, have got that thing to say, legit. Legit authenticity. There's an authenticity uh. to it, you know, there's a real authenticity to it, because I think with me, I get a lot of media. Like, I've had a lot of media done on me, but just, like, very rarely does somebody come through what I've come through and become, like, a fucking, what they would call, like, a BAFTA award-winning director. And mm-hmm. But that's not what defines me. What defines me is how I get up in the morning and how I carry myself for the day and how I choose to live my life. Like, that is what defines me, do you know what I mean? The other stuff, the film stuff and that, it's a job and, and I love it. You know, it's, it's it's a craft for me. Like, directing is a... This is one of the biggest blessings in life that I get a, a, a voice to take on social issues, that I can raise awareness, that I can raise empathy. Like that is a, a, a great place to be in life. But that comes with responsibility as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If I was running around getting out my nut all the time and still trying to do it, that just wouldn't work. Yeah, you can't let your ego control your behaviours. And if your desires control your behaviours, even if you didn't have the emotional awareness to describe that, you're pretty much fucked. And I think that's what happens with a lot of people with porn, food, drugs alcohol, weed, whatever, it, if that controls you, you're on autopilot, you're not really looking inwards at yourself, and I guess meditation and or getting training and all that does a lot for that for me now as well. Because mm-hmm. uh, definitely, it's, it's, it's like the natural stuff, it's like you use, see the things you use the drugs and that to, to blot out, it's like the natural ways of finding, there's no come down, there's no bad side to it, but it just takes consistency, but you can consistently smoke a joint every day, every morning, take a bucket, that's consistency, so yeah. you can be consistent. It's just been consistent with the right stuff. Yeah, man. And for me as well, like, we rely too much on Western medication to solve our problems. Mm-hmm. Oh, antidepressants know, and all that kind of stuff. Vaccines. Aye. And I'm not saying vaccines are wrong, but the choice, the individual choice, is away now. Aye, it's gone. It's and gone. that control factor, for me, is like, no, you, you, go, you go past, like, say there's 40 people standing in a queue for the vaccines. They, a lot of them look like the same people that are getting prescribed stuff. I don't even mean like method, I mean like antipsychotics, antidepressants, anti this, anti this, anti this. So when you go past them, obesity, you can see there's stuff in them, right? And I'm not saying this is a massive generalization, but like I, would, I jogged past a queue the other day there, 
Sunday morning, I'm going for an eight kilometer run. I'm trying to beat how far I've ever run, how time. So I'm written that, mastering myself. And then you run in the corner and there's 40 people standing in a line, looking shit, looking depressed, feeling the, the stress because you can tell they've just been informed by this media that's gone, oh, you're going to die soon if you didn't do this. And you're like, fucking hell. Like, how have we went flipped so far where we forget, like, you need to be able to breathe properly, you need to be able to drink water properly, you need to watch what you're doing, like, your your ownership and your responsibilities and how you live your life. And if you're eating Greg's, smoking 20 fags a day, and then wondering about this bacterial fucking infection that's going around so you're going to get a vaccine, where's the personal responsibility? Like, look at you, you're in shape. You're, you know what you need to do to keep the demons at bay. And a lot of people... They're not doing it. They're just giving up. And it's like, that, that's what's disappointing to me. That's where you're like, I only trust the NHS. I don't have a doctor anymore. You know, this might come out on Christmas Day and by January there could be demon COVID. If that's the case, so fucking what? Let it be gone. Like, I will let that be said because I'm responsible for my health. No, the NHS. All my life, the NHS have failed me. They failed the heroin epidemic, they introduced methadone. They've killed how many cunts through here? Why would you listen to them for a vaccine now? Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying the vaccine's wrong. I think if you have underlying health problems, go and get a vaccine. If it reduces the effects of COVID, don't you? Go and get it. But if you didn't, what the fuck are you doing? I know, it's just the media. It's the media. It's, it's, think, it's people that kind of think for themselves. They just look for the media to tell. But obviously the media's always been full of shit at the best of times. But now it's like an all-time high. And it's now, it's, it couldn't be more blatant and open. To, to the masses now, like what they're doing, they're suppressing information. Like, I seen a quote earlier, and it says, we've got all these experts coming on to do this and that. Not one is telling you to like, live a healthy lifestyle, take your vitamins, shit like that. Yeah. And that's probably one of the things you could do to help yourself, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, if you ask somebody down the street there, like, do you know what herb helps you when you're feeling, like, if you're, say, like, you're, you've got the flu, do you know what herb? Uh, do you know what turmeric is? Do you know what this is? Do you know what... Like, nah, because what the day is, that, that, that there's certain knowledges out there that you almost have to go to university or you have to have somebody who's holistic in their nature and in terms of like using herbs. And We used to live like that. We used to live off the land. We didn't do that anymore. And it's, that's what I mean. For me, I feel like it's incumbent on me to, to, to put that out because I'm not against vaccines. I'm not against people having that stuff. But there needs to be choice. And right now, I just think... Everything that they're doing is just control, 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 mm -hmm. control. And that's what's disappointing. It's like you can't go and organise anything anymore. Or oh, the government have introduced this new law. You can't go and protest. And the most ironic thing is it's done under the 1984 Public Health Act. The most, like, you know, it's like Orwell. We've, we've just uh, it's, came it's, into it. It's literally happening. It's literally happening in front of your noses. Because people are comparing it like Nazi Germany. This is kind of shit they've done before. That's what that's like, like. It looked like a queue of Jews. And I, I'm not disrespecting anything for, for the Second World War. But that looked like, to me people going to a chamber I will only let them put anything foreign in my system mm -hmm. and if I do get a bacterial infection or if I do get this infection what's going about hopefully I'm healthy enough to to combat it and and, and get but, do you know what I mean that's kind of where I am at ah of course and it's the right mind as well and it's like people forget that end of day it's your body you shouldn't have to justify no wanting to take something that isn't really fully like Tested because this is it's a trial phase now. We're basically guinea pigs. The economy. They've collapsed. They've absolutely collapsed the economy. They can't admit that they've done that. And now you're sort of like, how many people that are rich as fuck before this pandemic got even more richer again? Mm -hmm. The furlough scheme. That's something that's just benefited employers. No. And the amount of foreign companies that came in, opened up, 
and then fucked off with these thousands and thousands of pounds, millions sometimes, while people in poverty have just got even worse. Mm -hmm. That's why suicides are through the roof, self-harm is through the roof, mental health problems are through the roof, the jails, then you've been there yourself. It's crazy. And some, I, like I'm doing the gray at the moment and my character is just at the prison. Mm -hmm. And I'll say stuff in a meeting when we're sort of going through the script stuff and they'll be like, I can't be true, Gary. And I'm like, oh no, that's true. And I'm thinking, why am I the only person that's saying it in films? What do you mean it can't be true? So say like 23, I'm saying like 23 hour dub-ups constantly. Right. Oh, so they're saying like, no, there's no way. Is it, can't be, it can't be true. I was like, visits. Stuff that the jail and this dirty bastard and screws have been trying to do for years. The pandemic is now the excuse. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying all screws are bad. I'm saying the system that they work in and they know it themselves, it's still that wee dividends of power. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Individually, people are all right, but these systems that it's fit into, they're just designed to kill you. It's like I was I was listening to you and Sherlock saying the other day there and the guy that had asthma, oh, that's COVID symptoms. Bump. And you're I like, bump 10 days in quarantine. I couldn't stop thinking, did that guy die? Because that's the thing as well, because see the thing, he's got asthma, you get put in quarantine, you get dubbed up with somebody else who's got COVID, because the way you say it, if you've both got COVID, then you're not going to pass it to each other, but if you've no got it, if you get asthma, you're basically fucking, yeah, so you're not getting a fucking death sentence on you, team. So man. if you're an untried prisoner, and you go to prison, and then you've done nothing wrong, you're an untried prisoner, so say you're not guilty, and you still get remanded, which happens, because that's the point of getting remanded, and then you go to a COVID, and who can, who, who, where's accountability? Mm-hmm. It's just like... And then they just blame our COVID, got COVID. Everything's COVID. You know, doing my bit, a couple of laddies have had COVID bail. What's so that? fuck out today with them, and, and it's nothing to do with COVID, but the police now have powers that they can stop you from circulating and, and like, they can, uh, you can be refined to you. So if you've got COVID and you're walking about and you're giving everybody, they can be like, no, you have to stay in the house and da da Right. It's nothing to do with COVID. They're, they're getting, they're suspected, they say, carrying a weapon or they're suspected of various things. COVID was getting used as part of their bail conditions. Oh, so basically somebody they could just basically say like that, you're just going, you're staying in the house for 10 days, can yeah. I Isolating? Yeah. Fuck's sake. It's, it's giving them too much powers. It is giving too much control and it, is, it doesn't help matters enough outlawing your right to protest and that shit and you're like, how is this? So just, it's shady as fuck and it's happening and it's like the mainstream media and there's too many people in this country because it's such a biased media outlet. It's all fucking basically Tory funded and it's like too many people relying on the news. It's a lot of the older generation. I think we... We're moving into the kind of generations, maybe the next 10, 20 years, that it'll be solely internet. Most people, I'd say the large majority will get their information through like, via the internet and that, but you even see it like, they're starting to suppress stuff, and even Instagram, Facebook, they're complicit in it, I know. Yeah. If you get something that puts up oh, uh, for, for advice and COVID, or this fact-checkers, all that bullshit. just becomes an echo chamber, and mm -hmm. the whole thing is, is polarised media. If you have mm -hmm. them arguing with them across there, and negativity, people share that. I don't believe that's true. I didn't, when they go, we'll try some positive news. Try and see what happens when you look at alternatives and da da da. But they didn't do it. Do you know what I mean? And I think nationalism, you're either a Scottish nationalist or a British nationalist or you. And what's happened? You've got that underclassy people that just didn't exist. And they, or sorry, that got that underclassy people that exist. Then they have a voice. Da 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 da. And that's the people that more often than not are going to pass away. Mm hmm. Uh, they're the ones that's making up the numbers. But uh, see if I can just take you back to a bit. Obviously, you're saying. Like through your drug addiction that you're in jail at various times throughout your life can I ask at what point did you start like, looking into let's see thinking about like directing or script writing that kind of thing was there a kind of like defining moment you kind of be your it was it always something you were interested in but I wish I could say I was in the jail and I was a hard man I wasn't it. I was a fucking shite bag I could talk my way out everything you know that's that's my <laughs> that's reality that's the one rack on to I, I was not I was not hard man 
so when I was in the jail, I was, I was sitting in a cell, and I think the first time somebody says to me, like, what the fuck are you doing in here with us? I'm sitting writing a poem. And these hardened guys are fucking doing whatever. What age were you at this point? I think I was like 24 or some oh, shit. Right, something so. like that. My memory's a bit fucked. But mm. I, think I was young. My wee laddie had been born and needed to change and all that sort of stuff. And my cousin, he was like, you need to do something. Like You, you need to change. You need to sort of follow what you're like Billy he's like you mm-hmm. need to do that so he was in Jesse Field when I'd started college so like my girlfriend and my pal and that they're on doing that same HND thing now but I was in the, the preparation for media and design and I was shot I'd fucking just do it long again which is a, a YO's that used to be through an energy yeah. I'd just do it there everything was a bit hangy and then I wrote a story uh, somebody was killed in the area that I come from and I kind of looked at the way everybody was it was desensitised like within a week later nobody stopped carrying knives so somebody's killed nobody stopped carrying knife. if anything I, mere pe- I think more people started carrying mail. and then I'd done this I was I was, I was on methadone at the time so I go to jail on methadone and I started doing this creative writing course and when I'd done this story it was like a competition. I stopped that story, but there was an internal voice inside my head that that, that, that knew how to tell stories. So then I just wrote my own story, and it was about a guy. I, I tried to put it like, because when they, when they do adverts around knife culture, and they just say, don't go out the house with a knife. Mm-hmm. And my point was, well, what happens if I get stabbed then? Because Nabe never says it like that. It's all good to say, don't he walk about with a knife? But if you go around and everybody else is carrying a knife, you go, right, that's... So, I went away and, and wrote a, a short story and I made a short film and then it got edited and I got, I got to go to the film house and by that time I kind of thought, oh, I want to do this. I want to make, nobody was making films, you know, the accessibility media just wasn't there. So I was like, I, I want to do this. I, want to, I, I think I could actually become a director. And I went to college, done a six month preparation for media and design. And when I was gone on my, H, when, I think when I was just about to start my HND or when I was applying to go my HND, there was a woman at college, uh, I can't remember her name, an amazing woman, she's an accountant in uh, Clermiston, but she went away and put my short film in a, a competition for MTV, and MTV got in contact with me, and they went, uh, you've been nominated for an award, do you want to come down to London? And I was like, aye. So I went down, uh, and then when I went down there, met like Chipmunk and a, a few other people, but oh, they were, really they were just coming man. up, they were like, he was uh-huh. like a baron, but they were just coming up. And then I got nominated, I, think got, I didn't even win the award or anything, but it was like nominated for the award and blah, blah, blah. Do you mind what the award was called? Uh, was it Saving Britain? This MTV Saving Britain thing. So it was obviously their knife culture down there is quite bad as uh, well. Even still is? Aye, uh, definitely. And it's not a black problem compared to what the media say. It's a black problem. It's a uh, black problem. That's some bullshit. It's in the, just the this media. gang culture is basically what it was like up here. Of course, of course it is. We've already been through it up here, what they've gone through now. Mm-hmm. But so at that short film, sort of won that or nominated, got me down there with MTV. And then when I came back up, I got on my HND. And then a couple of my mates were dying. Uh, but what before that the short story that I wrote the monster within it's, I've still got it sitting there the, the short story that I wrote I sent it to my cousin who was in Jesse Field Jail and as much like I'm an absolute street cunt like where if I get praised for criminals and gangsters 
I feel like I accept that more and I feel more validated for that stuff than what I do for politicians, psychologists and all that other shit. And that's a learned behaviour in mine. I don't think it's wrong, it's just my truth. Yeah, because you've always been like kind of your peers, you've always kind of looked up to. So when you up. grow up in a mm-hmm. scheme, yeah, you, you sort of look at that and, and, and then you become your own man and, and you figure out the, the do's and don'ts and whatever. But I like when I got this praise and my, my, my cousin Billy was like, got me praise and, and he, he he gave me praise back and then Screws were giving me praise back and it was just it became my auntie uh, she's sort of passed away now but like my auntie and that as well so I just felt like my narrative was changing I wasn't just like I just I think for 10 year old until that age I just wanted to be a gangster I didn't know what it was really I'd watched too much movies and then suddenly when you were around people who were really violent and psychopathic, I went, fuck, I'm not that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, fuck, I'm not <laughs> that. I wished I was that, but I'm not. At the time, I thought that's what I had to be. And aye, the violence comes back to bite you on your ass, really. So I guess making a, a short film and going to do my HND and struggling with it and trying to come off of methadone while I was doing my HND, still having a, a smack habit and just fucked, really. Just absolutely fucked. And then still having this fight I want change I want to change myself I, w- I want something different I do want to work on building sites all my life I want to become and then somebody says to me Gary you know you're an artist and that changed me because the way you look at yourself in life is really important and then suddenly I, I started seeing like I could have potential here and then my short film that I made as my graduation I was going to college one morning my pal died of a methadone overdose and I found them and then I went into class and then I looked at all these people and I'm just going to say middle class people because I think as soon as you say class stuff and that it can just become divisive people have all got their own struggles but when I was in this class it just felt I was the only person that was going through this shit that was losing people through drugs constantly you know it was just for a while there I just thought death was normal I just when I'm in my younger 20s it just seemed like three four a, a week sometimes and you were losing everybody you mm-hmm. know what I mean so when I went to college and I started writing and I wrote this short film called Tolerance and then I knew it I knew when that was screened at the film house that it, it made people I've seen people in the audience crying and I've seen the effect that I could have on people and people were going fucking hell so then what happened and then after that instead of going to university I was at the film house and I was uh, I was writing a script <laughs> I went for taking scripts to writing scripts so I was writing a script <laughs> And I'm, at, I'm there and Shane Meadows is walking past with the wee guy for This Is England with Tomo. And I had a, an A4 bit of paper says, writer, director, will work for food, geese a job, I can do that. And that was for a quote for the, I think, for called Boys, Boys From The Black Stuff. Right. So that geese a job, I can do that. I thought to myself, if there's a working class director, they will know what I mean by that. Aye. So that would get the attention. So he, he was like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm a director, I'm going to get a job as a runner and work my way up in industry and I'm going to become a director and that. Do you want to see my showreel when I handed it to him? I didn't know who he was at the time. And then he walked away from me and I thought, I didn't make a good impression there. I should really try and... So then I, I walked into the film house and I opened the door and it hit him in the back and suddenly this time there's like nine people around him and I could tell it was somebody famous at this point. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, and he was like, well, we were just talking about you. He's like, do you want to come for a drink? And I was like, aye, no problem. Went for a drink with him, still fucked on methadone and that. 
And then the next day morning, I got a phone call from Shane Meadows, and he's like, hi, Gary, it's Shane. Uh, do you want to come up and see my film? He says, I really love yours. He says, it's one of the best student short films that you've seen. And then suddenly my self-esteem was getting lifted, and I says to him, Shane, cunts like me, they belong at the film festival, man. Like, I, they'll not let me in there. And he's like, no, you will get in. I'll put a ticket aside for you. So then I go up, and it's all sold out, and the guys at the film festival, and I'm like, you can't come in here. And then one of the HND students that was with was like, oh, he's with us. And Shane Meadows says he was the guy with the ticket. And they're looking at him like, are you fucking sure? <laughs> so then I go <laughs> in and... fucking bullshitting them. Ah, it wasn't that long ago. I felt like it wasn't that long ago that I was up there fucking up to all sorts. Like the, the view and all that stuff. How everything just changed ah, so quickly? Everything changes then. So suddenly I'm up there and I've still got the anxiety and still got the complex. And before I know it, I'm watching this film with Shane Meadows, Summerstown it was... And I've I felt like I want a piece of this, man. I'm I fucking this is me. Like I want a piece of this. And then every year after that, his agent would message me and say, "Oh, Gary Shane's there." And I felt like when Shane was there, people would look at him as Shane Meadows. It's the fucking hell. But people were seeing me with him, mm-hmm. and that made me feel good because I felt like I was I was trying. I I, I knew that it was going to be a long journey. And hi, you know what I mean. So it's. It, it, for then I'm like when I go back to my own craft and go back to making shorts and that suddenly I'm studying directors like the type of directors like I don't know I guess it's like Mutai you study different fighters and adopt the styles and I felt that way director that I'm looking at different directors and try to get a bit of James Cameron in me there try to get a bit of this person in here try to get a bit of Scorsese in here do you know what I mean the way I work with non-actors is, is unique to me it is you know and and that process uh, you've been through it yourself but that process of creating catharsisism I had to find out what made me unique mm-hmm. and what makes me unique is all the shit that I've been through to have a workshop where people can forget about all the shit they've been through and dump their baggage and suddenly they can do emotional recall suddenly they can and it, it's, it's, it's a beautiful process man it's, it's, for me it's divine you know there's something pure about that a million percent especially as you say about working on actors and that kind of stuff I would think I've never directed in my life, but I would think it would, working with actors compared to non-actors, like non-actors is like you're going to bring people that are shell, especially like people that's come for the schemes and that kind of thing. So you've been there yourself, dealt with anxiety and all that kind of stuff. And we talk about some of these people, they go into a room full of people and fight with every one of them and uh, nobody, no shite themselves one bit. As soon as you put a camera in front of them, it's like oh, pure anxiety. Yeah. And it's just crazy because it's so alien to what they're used to. And I think you're quite good at being able to kind of bring people down to the same level and go out right, basically include people and all that kind there's of stuff. There's no ego. Ah, exactly. You there's all the ego. ego. They, 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 you look, there's a lot of hard people that come to these workshops. There's a lot of people who are very capable fighters and that's not even a professional. I'm not even just Chris there. I felt like I was just singling out Chris because he's a hard <laughs> bastard. But I wasn't even thinking about Chris as well. <laughs> no, I mean, so that tells you kind of guys at this workshop. <laughs> I know, I think there's been mere porridge in the free bears at some of the workshops <laughs> as well. <laughs> but, uh, like, I, so, like, the ego doesn't work because you're found out fast. So you have to, you have to become a, a team, you have to gel and you have to support each other and respect comes with that. And that, that's what's different because a lot of scheme cunts, they didn't know how to respect what's around them because they've never been respected. Mm-hmm. So they feel like they have to fight the world. Aye. And then suddenly they lose that a wee bit and then they, they they become children again almost. They become boys again and, and learning becomes fun. So suddenly it's easy. Like a lot of people are dyslexic as well. So they didn't, they're not really good at reading off his stuff. And before you know it, they're recreating shit that they've been through in their life and they're, they're willing to cry and they phone you after that and go, this is the best experience in my life. And you, that's happened for Dundee to Newcastle to here. It's 
crazy that what the effect is on people and not everybody's got to become actors or even necessarily be in movies but when you go into a job interview after being in the workshops suddenly the way you carry yourself is different the way you, you so people then start reflecting on their journey and go wait a minute where the fuck do I want to be and what, what do I want to do and you're asking yourself external questions that you might not have asked yourself before you know so that's I see some power in there that's not necessarily about people pulling performance or pulling or getting a, an agent it's more about how you take that and put that into your own life you know and, mm. and, and increase your human potential it's, it's insane because it's see the kind of way see if obviously if you've grew up well a tough upbringing obviously you've kind of fought for respect and that kind of thing it's strange seeing the workshops you kind of almost need to show vulnerability in order to gain confidence so it's at one point that, and it goes back to that ego thing it's kind of it's like you need to face yourself and go ah right I need to kind of put myself out there and that's a lot of these people never shown vulnerability in their life because it was seen as weakness yeah. but it's now it's it's been used well, to strength. end up killing themselves, you know, because you can't be vulnerable and you're masculine and you're angry and it becomes a cancer, you know. You can't be angry all the time. You can't wake up in the morning and fucking... I used to be like that myself, just wake up angry and don't really know why I was angry. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's left now, but I'm privileged and gifted to be in that position to have that emotional awareness. So I like passing that on to people as well because then you become a better father. Uh-huh. Then you become a better son. You become a better human and that benefits everybody. That has a... And you can't get this stuff funded. No, uh, no, at all. And it's like, see, try to talk about it. It's like, it, it takes people like me and you to like, try and get this information out there. There's no, there's no like doctor or doing adverts. So, like, say, all right, you should do this and that. There's none of that. And it's like, see, if you speak to a doctor about it, they almost don't know. Because they've been trained, right, just to oh, prescribe this, get that diagnosed, this, prescribe that. And that's all it is. There's no like, advice really been given. Yeah, exactly. And it, you can't, that's what I mean, that prescription pad, it kills them. Do you know what I mean? Like, that, all they can relate to is just putting stuff in a script dispensing it and it's just yeah, the time Aye. Know, they, it's almost it's, it's just like silencing the problem isn't it most GPs that I know are murdering bastards mate you know and you have this thing where you're not allowed to say anything about GPs and you're not allowed to say anything about the NHS because it's I'm not saying all GPs are bastards but the GPs that I've met are murdering bastards they've murdered more people than what I know you know and that's where their scripts that's where their lackey emotion that's with a lack of compassion the lack of empathy the lack of understanding of what actually is happening with families and methadone methadone methadone, said values, methadone values. it's like bellini i'm just out there and it's like it's, it's the biggest supplier of methadone like the uk and it's like it's insane there's people that came in there and there's been methadone for like 30 years or 20 odd years like how is it is it no matter when you off heroin is that no matter the idea how the fuck can it take 30 years to win somebody off something it's no it doesn't it's make crazy. sense when you say like that and it's true who's a drug dealer you know exactly. I mean? they'll, they'll, the Daily Record will print something about community, Mr. Biggs, and they'll do all this stuff. It's, it's, it's the pharmaceuticals. Do you know what I mean? They're the ones that are pushing harder than anybody. Like for the drug death thing, and you've got GlaxoSmith and Klein up in Dundee ready to try to get laws changed in Scotland so they can go back to prescribing diazepam again because a factory that, that makes them on the street is not allowed to do that because that's a tazepam or whatever the fuck it's called. A tazalam. Aye, so they're doing that. So you're like, where did they copy that for? Why was it? Why was the demand there in the first place? Well, that's because they were introduced as mothers' little helpers in the late sixties, mm-hmm. and became commonplace. And then just went, nah, we can't do that anymore. So it's crazy, man. It's, it's that whole narrative around the war on drugs. It's just, it's it's wrong. You know, the wire exposed it greatly, and I think hopefully through my work, I'll try and keep continuing to expose the phoniness around it. Definitely. How do you think would be the best way to tackle it? If, in your opinion, tackle. Let's see. Obviously, the war on drugs right now. It's it's just it's just it's decriminalisation, man. Like, who am I to tell you what to smoke and what not to take? Mm-hmm. And I think 
the moral authority that comes from middle class people is like it's not all middle class people but it's okay to have a drink with your dinner it's okay to have cocaine because it's recreational drug use you know it's a do -do 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 -do. but when you feel a scheme it's valleys it's meth it's kit it's all the fucking horrible shit that da -da -da -da. so the disparity we didn't even have a distinction we just have this word drug user mm -hmm. so there's no even people who recreate no everybody's an addict like most people are functioning addicts that work their arses off during the week and then at the weekend they spend all their money on shit coke Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So if you, if you, for me, I think if you legalise the drugs, no everybody would run and be an addict right now. I think if you legalise them, legal, especially cannabis, especially the, the cannabis laws, and then through legalisation, you then give people choices and options. Like my mate literally wrote a bill saying that, uh, what was it, that you should have a legal right to treatment, a legal right to recovery. It's not like right now, there's, there's, it just, it doesn't ah, You need happen. to kind of go and get it off your own back. It's all independent. It's, and a lot of these places like AA and all that, they're not funded. No, exactly. There's people doing it after their own back. Obviously, they'll take donations and that, but... But he was getting it tight for that, for writing a bill saying it should be a legal requirement, a legal right for you to... And it's like, and you see it in the papers, it's, it becomes a, a poking stick between the daily record and it becomes... What happens with the, with, with the drug deaths, they become... The Scottish government will go, you know what? The reason that this is all happening is because we don't have the powers up here to... They're not saying nothing different. They'll try a few initiatives, but they're not really doing anything if you look at the actions on it. And now they're like, like okay, we need to do something changing. And it becomes this, 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 this battering stick back and forth. You know, like England is much worse than Scotland. That doesn't mean to say Scotland's good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, Scandinavian countries have fucking got it done to a fine art. I've been in Norway, mate, and there's still a heroin problem in Norway. It's fucking... A beautiful country that did hardly any poverty. People are still taking heroin. People will still do stuff, but you need to increase opportunities. And I think for me, we create this. Uh, I say we society creates this problem, and then solves it through medication. So we create this dependency on medication. We solve it through medication when we really all know it is trauma. It is about the poverty aspect of staying in Scotland. It is about the lack of education. It is about how difficult is it just to go on a college course. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. fucking solid. It's not an easy thing to go to college, look after Burns, try and be... Oh, in no, Germany and other countries are rewarded for it. They, they, they push you into these technical schools. They, they develop you. They, 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 they. Here, it doesn't happen. It's a fight for survival unless you're educated. And that's why what they do is they make language ambiguous, like law, medicine, because you have to go and learn that somewhere. And you, We've already got the powers, you know, and within, but I think for me... This country needs a lot of healing, you know. It doesn't need more job opportunities, more job opportunities. It needs healing and it needs a time to heal and we don't have that. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's uh, just people are so stressed. A million percent, see, especially with the job opportunities as well. It's like, I've worked, like, see jobs you hate, see, unless you're, you're kind of what you are to be doing, man. Or you're, you're going out and get your nut at the weekend just to forget about it. You're working on a zero-hours contract and somebody's saying to you, by the way, it's illegal for you to take cocaine tonight. <laughs> I know. So what, what else can I know? Do you know what I mean? It's nice. like it is, and it's like, and see when you, it's so much part of the culture. See when I've been at, like been at it and that kind of stuff and like what do I do? There's not really much you can do that isn't go like, oh, like if you go to bowling, there's a bar and that there yeah. or like everywhere it's pushed on you. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Like anywhere in a scheme, it's like I was looking at my scheme earlier and it was like, what was the first thing it was open? Bakers and bookies. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Like you know what I mean? And see, every shop sells drink. It's all shit, horrible, fucking cheap drink. And I know it's minimum price and whatever, but. They're all designed to, to, why do we not have yoga classes, free yoga classes, fucking free meditation places and schemes, they would laugh at you. 
Do you know what I mean? Because we didn't have that in our psyche. Mm-hmm. And that's what needs to be pushed, you know. I'm not saying it's for everybody, but you need to have options. Humans are great at responding to options. Right now, a lot of people feel like they don't have options. They just do. They just survive. They just get through today. That's and it. Taking that's, a day at a time. Yeah, that's sad, man. And that's the thing is, it's like, see, you obviously go to work and all that, you get your fag breaks and that kind of stuff. You're allowed that. And then you've got, like, you can go and get mad at the pub at the weekend, spend all your money. It's, it's all generally made to keep you a worker. Yeah. To a degree, you know what I mean? Like, you keep, you smoke fags during your break, you keep on working because you've got that wee, that wee comfort blanket, then you've got your drink at the weekend, then that's, it's, it's, it's all kind of designed. Same with school. You only learn, like, basic literacy and numeracy, and it is, it's not, you're not ever taught or be, uh, bred to believe you're bigger than what you are. It's not just join the line as the Most rest of Most people think like an employee. Very rarely do people think like the employer. Mm-hmm. I, I read a book ages ago called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I've got that in there, but I've not read it yet. Is that a good book? Brilliant. Is that right? Because it's just the way you change them. It's like, you, you might not be aware, like, we're very conscious creatures, but we don't pay attention to what we do on a daily basis because we're so busy thinking. So, like, for me, learning about the mills, like the Robert Owens Institute and stuff like that through in Lanarkshire, learning about why, how did we get to where we are just now? How d- Once you start doing all that, you start looking at how f- finances control quite a lot of stuff, you know, like, and when you start looking at it like that, you go, what do I want? A job on minimum wage? Now, fuck that. I want to own the company. Mm-hmm. That attitude or the way you look at yourself is a different, like, I see myself as a boss. I own a company. Like, it's quite a successful company. That's the one that we run the grey area through. In the process, you now starting up a, like a community interest company, a board of directors and da da da. And I'm thinking, fuck, I, I learned some of that for university. But when I was going for a jog the other day there, it was through a really rich uh, area called Cramond. It's like Bears Den and right. Edinburgh. And I could see people a wee bit judgmental as I'm r- sort of running and stuff like that. And I was thinking, fucking hell, gee. You're here after picking Danny Boyle's BAFTA up, after winning your own BAFTA, TV shows. You fucking make, you rap. You don't know how to play an instrument. You make music, you don't know how to play an instrument. You write screenplays, you can hardly fucking write. You read this stuff, but you can hardly read. So it was just like, I looked at the opportunities that these wee bearings have. Sorry, Wayne's, I'll translate for you. <laughs> of course, I just, I'll put subtitles up, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> you made them a lot for me. But that there is, when you see people that go to private school and that, the, the way they walk is different. They, their young laddies and that are bred to be future champions, future leaders. We didn't have that. And that's that difference. That's where, for me, to try and change that mentality and go, nah, man, build your brand, build you up. Just know that social media is an engagement tool. It's no something that you just live in because that's another thing. People live in social media like it's a reality. It's not real. We know it's not real, but we live in there. It's like, that's why when Facebook turned to call themselves Metaverse, I'm laughing my arse off because <laughs> you can see the way all this is gone. Ah, uh, no, definitely. You can see. I've seen something talk about it. It's like, It'll get to a point you'll be wearing glasses and it'll be like, say, if I'm looking at you, you've got your wee avatar. And it'll get to a point, it's like people won't be like, Black Mirror, it's like Black Mirror happening. You ever watch that? Yeah, absolutely. That's basically the way it's gone. It's yeah. going to get to a point that people are just not going to live in. Like, people don't live in the real world right now, but it's actually going to be literal. They'll literally not live in the real world. How many women think they have to go out and get Botox injections, lip fillers, and everything else to feel beautiful when they really are beautiful in themselves, but they're, they're forced to conform to a certain. Um, models look or forced to conform to a certain thing and then they feel shit in themselves guys like you're quite big and you're da, da, da. but like a lot of guys have that same thing they feel like and then they end up taking roids or they end up da, da, and before you know it they become on, uh, because they need to be like love island look like that do you mm-hmm. know what I mean and no, that's not for everybody you need to eat healthy you need to eat plant based stuff you need to eat protein stuff and I don't think all that stuff's good so people have 
And a skewed perception yeah. of what per- perfection actually is, but there's no such thing as perfection. And convince uh, themselves that they operate on free will. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And it is, it's all goes back to society, and it's all people what people judge you as. And it's all that thought, and it's all that fear of being judged. I took DMT, and that, that, that changed a lot of my, my, the way I thought. Like, I'd never thought about universe or the word spirituality or any of that shape before. And as soon as I took DMT, I think that changed. How was your experience? It was great, man. It was weird. I, t- I fucked it up a wee bit, but like, I heard people talking about it, right? So this was the sort of time when people were talking about Bitcoin and when stuff. When was it? So what happened? 2013. I made a film about my life, uh, Everybody's Child. That was like 2013. So then I was getting clean and I'd, I'd come off with the heroin and stuff like that. And I'll, some of the guys that I was jumping about with, they were they were growing weed and then they stopped growing weed and started putting computers in hussies and mining Bitcoin. Now I'm a scheme <laughs> cunt bro, right? right? So this freaked my fucking head out. I didn't know what was, I seen a guy hand over 30 grand and no drugs getting passed. It was weird. <laughs> it was really weird. So they were, at the time it was like, yeah, like 300 quid a Bitcoin or some shit like that. So these uh, guys had quite a lot cheap. of it. Yeah, these guys had quite a lot of it and nobody really heard what Bitcoin was. So then, I, these guys were all like really brainy intellectual type of guys no street counselor couldn't survive in the hood but mm. they're different you know so they were talking about their stuff DMT and DMT and I was like and I was like I fucking end up trying it they call it the god molecule or whatever so I was like researching a wee bit about it and I was like I'm going to try this I thought it was going to be like acid or some shit like that but when I took it you know that film Limitless uh, I mean, that's exactly how I felt when I took it. That's exactly what I felt like. I was having, we're in a conversation, and I knew what everybody was going to say. If five, I had a five-second jump on everybody in the room, so whatever everybody was saying, I knew what they were going to say before it. And then I looked out the window, and it was like Edinburgh was having a party. You're clean, Gary. You're clean, and it was just weird. But I fucked up. The next game week, I went and because I was, I was still an addict, really. So the next again week, I've, I was assisted to these guys like, oh, it'd be good to take this wee crack and that. For fuck's sake. Wasn't it? So like the next week. <laughs> so did you do it, eh? I, I jumped up, I got a 25 rock and wanted to try because I thought, well, if that was that like that. I should be at like times 10. <laughs> fucking hell, how was that? How'd that turn it? You know what? It was the weirdest feeling ever. I didn't get a hit off a crack pipe. I took put crack in my mouth and I put the DMT and I took a draw and I didn't get an effect, but I had this thing and I, now I know what it was. It was my consciousness. I didn't know what consciousness was. I know it was my consciousness now saying stop this man what we doing and it changed it, 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 I, I've never ever thought about taking crack or heroin so or did you actually take a hit for it? yeah I took a pipe and I put the crack pipe in and took the, the DMT <laughs> and it was just I straightened my man it was, it was a weird feeling so did you was, get any like, effect after I felt, like, I felt like the devil came right to my fucking face and went you want to keep doing this aye and I, I, so it was like I, I an epiphany you'd say I, I think so mate it scared me a bit I'm going to take it again soon I think over the next fuck knows over the next couple of months I'm going to go up north with my girlfriend and take DMT under the stars and try and look at the aura of the sky it lasts for about five minutes it's not, it's not like it's it's uh, It's one of the ones I say to everybody see if you freak out it's ten minutes right out, then you're back to normal it's not as if you're like fucking respect like, it and that's the thing I took it again I took it with a couple of guys before I, I took it once after then so I've had DMT twice and when I took it again the guys that I took it with two of them were like up to all sorts they had bad trips and my other mate who wasn't up to all sorts he had good do you know what I mean? he had a good experience here when I took it it was the same again I had this this Indian goddess 
come right here in my head, you know, I can't remember what her name is, but I, I fuck, how did I fucking know what an Indian god is? Like, I had to go away and research my trip after it, going, uh-huh. what did I just see there? Like, what happened? And it was like, I felt like an Indian goddess came up and it was like, live your live your life good, live your life right, keep doing what you're doing, stay on track. And it was just, a, it was almost like a confirmation because sometimes you can take it and try and quit smoking or you can take it to deal with stuff. I took it and I felt like my consciousness was just saying like, just keep up, just keep, just do what you're doing, man. Be humble, get through life the way you're, and it was just, it was brilliant, man. It was just a, a really good experience. That's what it does. See, every time I've took it, I've always felt as if I've took a message for the fucking other side. Is that feeling? It's always something like, it's like direct to you. It's not something vague. When I die, this is what I'll see. Aye, that's what I believe as well, genuinely. And I think, obviously, everybody's different. People react to drugs differently. I think people should try it at least once. I want to say, go and take it. No, I mean, you know your mind better than I do, but it's it's a once in a life. If you take it once, then it can you can take something away from it, I think. And it's, I've took it every plant based, man. It's, you know, it's that exactly. See, you look at this, it comes from like a plant in the Amazon. So, if I'm going to take any drug, it's for a plant in the Amazon, then I'm going to take that. Know what I mean? We've got to be kind of we can't call Pete for doing the roads. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, but it's definitely, I mean, it's an eye opening experience, man. I loved it, man. I did, I really did like it. Two seconds, mate. I've just got a couple more questions for you. So, yeah, for you're checking your Tinder profile, <laughs> actually, was I know, man? Keep getting patched. <laughs> Fuck it, I don't know what's wrong, I can't do nothing in Tinder anymore. It's like, it's like, a pure, I've got a pure block. What, no, I'm like, I'm like, I've ever seen Good Luck Chuck? Nah. Right, he's a guy, basically, I can't mind, it kind of looks like Bradley Cooper, but he's no, he's a mad actor. Basically, he's got this curse, everybody goes with it. The next guy, they go way after him, that becomes like the love of their life. So he's basically the guy in the middle, and ends up meeting this birdie falls in love with and fucking oh and he doesn't want to bang on that because she'll end up going with her guy and he turns into a mad stalker anyway I'm like look, good luck Chuck apart from the stalker but I, I go with mad birds once and next I know they're pregnant it's another cunt and I'm like ah fucking hell good good, good, good for you hen. I'm still staying in this two bedroom house myself but I prefer them single uh, anyway so if I can take you back how did you get involved with Teen Spotting 2? Uh, I was when I'd done Everybody's Child which is available on Amazon, folks. Um, <laughs> when I done Everybody's Child, uh, I got clean after it. And then I broke up with my baby mama. And I put myself in the hostels and I was fucked. You know, I, I was, was I rock bottom? I don't know if it was, nah, I think rock bottom was on the crack. But like, I was at my worst. I was in a homeless hostel. I was dead inside and I seen a lot of guys who were addicts and my mate was in rehab through here and he got out and he wrote some stuff in that and he says to me he's like do you want to turn this into a TV show or some shit like that and I was like aye why not and I got all this funny as fuck like Chuck does kind of day humour at all Edinburgh cunts <laughs> are just usually dry you know it's, it's a very you have to sit with them for a couple of days just to get it. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> not like through here where it's, it's, it's on aye, point aye. and you survive with your banters, your wit, you know? <laughs> so like, with him, he's he was he's the best of both for us. He's with Fife and fucking somewhere through here. So <laughs> he was just a good cunt and he, he brought this stuff to me and it was funny and I gave it to all these guys and it, they just didn't get what I was giving them for the grade or I worked with like 40 people in the grade or something. So we had these workshops though, but what happened was they would forget everything that I was telling them today and they would just run with it themselves. So then it was great because it was at this cafe, like I had nowhere to eat, I'd no money, I'd fuck out. So I was like, like, I have a workshop on a Wednesday, I could go up there, get some food, do the workshop, get some fags and that, 
you know, the wee scheme come, you just get a fag and something to eat and I'm going to be back on your, your feet again. And then something beautiful happens, you know, like we were doing these workshops and all these people who never thought they could act before never, and the same experience that you got. So we got all these people and as I'm in this homeless hostel, uh, I'd spent like eight months, quite a long time in it. And then I got right, eight f- months in this one hostel. Aye, well, I'd, be, I'd been kicked out a few. Aye, but it was all eight months in hostels. Aye, so fuck's sake, man. No, no, oh, and it was about a year. So a full year and like getting kicked out of hostels, trying to get back on, just get on my feet really, and and, and get clean. Twenty two years of a habit, PTSD, absolutely fucked, flung into a hostel, and then fighting the doctors. The doctors are like, you need a prescription, you need valleys, you need meth, and I'm like, no, I don't. I'm 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 done with this now. So then I go to this thing called Narcotics Anonymous and. I met some amazing people in there and then people I was like instead of me concentrating on my recovery I just wanted to be the director still so I'd done these workshops and then I got my flat and when I was in my flat uh, Irvin Welsh messaged me and says Danny Boyle wants to speak to you he's doing some research for Transporting 2 do you want to speak to him and I was like aye no problem so I had an, like, the whole time I was homeless, I had an office and that and leave. Like, I was still fucking hustling. Like, I was conf- I was more true than ever that I'd broke free for the criminality. So I had all this time on my hands. It's not like I was jumping about up to all sorts of enemies. So I then put that into, like, getting an office, trying to start a company, learning about branding, learning about marketing. And then Danny came down to the office, which is good, you know. It's not like I was, like, Danny come down to my homeless hostel and let's have a chat. Right. Like, come down to my office mm-hmm. and... He came down, my wee mate Hendel says to him straight away, he's like, Danny, you got an Oscar? And he's like, aye. And Hendel's like, I've got an Oscar in the car. And I'm like, Hendel, fucking. <laughs> this is important. So, uh, but I says to Danny, I didn't like transporting. He asked me what I thought of transporting, and I said, I didn't like it. I what did they say? He says, I'm glad, I'm glad for you to be honest. But I, I gave my reasons for it as well. When the right, first I- one came out, I was on the junk. And when they says, like, like basically, I felt they glamorised heroin in the first one a bit, right? Mm-hmm. I felt they made they made heroin look chic. They made it look cool. And then, instead of it being something that was negative, it became part of culture. So, reflect on it. That was the reason. It wasn't because I didn't like it because it wasn't a good movie. It was a fucking brilliant movie. I just didn't like it because I, I felt like, like, I love Irvin, but my experience and his experiences are obviously uh, you different. You've actually got a lived in real life experience, and yeah, that just yeah. like, kind of was dramatised a bit. But I, but no, but I, I like he's good at what he does. But that's for that. What I was doing was different, and what I was coming for was different. I think so. Then when you're a heroin addict and you watch people on screen, that, that people go, "That's what it must have been like," and you go, "Fuck no, fuck that wasn't he like that." And you've got Hollywood actors playing these roles, and as much as they're good, that's not the way my experience was so I just said to Danny like I didn't really like it that much because he, I felt like glamorised it and blah 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 and then he was like thanks for your truth uh, he's like there's a part coming up for acting and transporting too he says do you want the part is to play like a, a, a group facilitator for Spud I was like I'm not really an actor mate. I said I, I direct films you know I was, I, was, I was true on that myself I said why don't you come up to our workshops tonight with the area I said oh you've got all these people with lived experience I know you've done Carlton Athletic the first time and I said why don't you come up and, and see our workshops I said if nothing else it would give my guys a bit of self esteem boost and I knew to be honest with you anybody who loves drama when you come to my workshops it's like fucking theatre you know it's immersive you're in there and if you're really about that then I know you're just like a sponge to it so when he came up it was brilliant, you know, everybody pulled out brilliant performances that night, it was 
amazing and he walked up to me at the end he says I'm going to get all your guys cast and transporting he's, I was like brilliant and I'm like fuck still fucked you know so the next again day I'm walking about feeling sorry for myself the next again day after that I'm like I fucked it he's came to me to, to act and transport and tour and I've went done the typical Gary thing like no that's no for me and every kind of room he's then go, the, the, I'm like I fucked it man I felt a bit shit and then he phoned me up and he was like hey, I mean remember I'm still fucked with PTSD I'm in a house with nothing man after all that time we've been homeless after all that addiction they give me a fucking house there's no carpets the, 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 the cooker's fucked nobody gives a fuck and I'm still taking my kids you know I've still got f four kids in this house as well so it was just a horrible experience and he phoned me up and he's like hey, look he says I'm not handing you a bouquet of flowers he says this is going to be really fucking hard he says everything that I send you today you're going to go out you're going to do exactly what I tell you today and when you come back that's going to, I'm going to tell you that's not what I wanted are you up for this he says do you want in the role as a second unit director he was like it's not much money he says it's 300 quid a day and he's like, I'm, I'm like I've got nothing I'm like I, I'm freaking I, do I get paid now <laughs> <laughs> cash up front any chance you some tip I took the I, I obviously I took the job and Irvin tweeted it and my life went mental again because it was like obviously everybody's child what happens usually when I make something that, that gets a lot of uh, View, no views but like gets but hype of, and that kind of stuff aye they, suddenly you look at your Twitter and your Facebook aye, it's and it's blown just, up and all that and everybody's talking about it it's all red balls that's what they call them in marketing just red balls they just add in and talking and stuff like that so he tweeted it and then the evening news I think like self-proclaimed schemey lands top job in transporting you know that sort of fucking shit <laughs> and then I it was, it was just this really weird like transporting was a really good experience and a really bad experience it was a good experience because I got to be on set I got to work with these amazing people I got to have money I got to do that but it was a bad experience because my mental health was fucked so mm. I'd just done all this time and you know what it's like Like when you've done the jail when you come here and it's just to yourself again it takes a while to adjust oh 100% doesn't was, matter how long you do exactly and I was doing that being on the front page of the Guardian Aye. and everybody telling me how great I'm doing but inside I was crying I was I was just hurting and dying and didn't really understand what was going on and confused and just fuck knows just horrible just felt horrible but then I'd go to work on Trainspotting and be like talking to you McGregor and I'd go back came into this flat and I'd be sitting there with nothing because I'd never got paid. Obviously, I didn't get paid straight away. Uh -huh. So I was like, the first two weeks in, I was ready to quit the job because I'm like, I need to go and hustle. I need to go and do something here. Like, I'm fucking dying, man. I've gave up selling drugs. <laughs> I've got nothing. And now I'm like, at the, 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 and then it was like, I got my first wage. I went and got a car. I went and got clothes and I was on my feet. And then, pure scheme, can't you? As long as I've got a pair of nice white trainers and a car, I'm, like, I'm there. I'm Don't there. give a fuck about what's in the bank. No, three quid I'm there. in the bank and a pair of 300 quid trainers. Well, then I got an email from Edinburgh Council saying, Congratulations on your job with Transporting, but you're now going into rent arrears. So, Transporting. Fuck, also, sake, they're no slower, are they? No, they also got me. Uh, transporting also got me evicted as well. No, no deliberately, but just, I'd, I'd never had a clue what to do with like 16. I think I got paid 16 grand for Transporting. I don't have a fucking clue what to do, so I'm just up, like I'm back dealing again. I'm up at cruise. I'm getting nice hangways. Come I Christmas, I've got four brand new jumpers and fuck all in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. Aye. Sat there on Christmas Day with nothing and like just sat there myself feeling sorry, like fucking some Oliver Twist tail. But I had four brand new jumpers for cruise and I'm looking at these bastards like, what the fuck have I done? Aye. Like, what am I doing? Looking for the receipts <laughs> like I fucking got spraying it with a bit of deodorant so it smells all right. Oh take it back. my god, so that, and then obviously the grey area. But I, I, I what I liked about transporting was like I got my guys, some of the guys 
who I was using in the grader, they then got experience of being on a film set. So then when it came my turn, I was speaking to a lot of people after train spotting and and I knew I'd done a good job and it was an amazing experience to be part of it and like shout out to like Irvin and Danny and that like they really did take me under their wing and I think because I had I'm very self-critical in myself I thought I was just there as like a token gesture junkie and when I got my duties in that I was I was a proper director you know I, for the first time in my life I was given the resources to do jobs and suddenly it wasn't me going how the fuck do we do this and how it's like right pay this person to do that pay this person and suddenly you realise like a 28 million pound budget I had my own unit I could go around Edinburgh and shut streets off and uh, location it was just it was brilliant it Hunted was the key to the city basically man basically I, and everybody knew who I was I felt like in Edinburgh I felt like everybody because I was on the front page and da 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 so all this sort of, so suddenly all the people not all the people but some people before who might have been like oh he's a junkie made a film about his life eh no, I mean it became more than that. It Aye. became like no, no, he's that boy's doing good now. Aye, it became because after everybody's child, I could have just went away and be fucking died in a hostel, and they did to give a fuck. You know, I would have been that guy that made a film of his uh-huh. life, and that changed it. Then that, that narrative. So suddenly you get to see the journey. Then it becomes something that I'm documenting my 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 successes and my positivity, and it was great. Like I, as soon as I seen Danny direct, I went, I can do this. You know, we were doing this scene. It was like Brad's scene. I think it was. We were away doing the recce, and I think there was a light getting moved, and I'd never been on set before, but I knew where I wanted to, I knew, I, I just had an awareness, and that, that, I guess that's been a street cunt, you know, you just have an emotional awareness, and I, it was just brilliant, and I seen everybody there, and it was just a great experience, you know uh, what I mean? Amazing, do you think you've learned a lot after that, and been able to still use it to this day, can experience you've took after? I just learned for Danny that, to be nice to people it's the most simplest thing to be nice and respectful to people but when you're fucking shooting seven hours into a day and everybody's screaming at you and you're just asked to be nice to people and you set that because the energy you've seen it yourself if my, my i set the energy usually right Aye. so if i come in feeling shit and feeling like my ego and all oh, the nobody's understanding me and you can then end up with like a fucking a, a, a disaster on your hands, hands aye, so aye. I just learned to be nice to people and not learn to be I, I continued to be nice to people continue to be respectful to people because for me that that, that that's one of, I, I love people I, I like speaking to people and, and hearing their stories and, and, and being interested and I think with that that's what I learned with Danny and when you look at like Ewan McGregor Ewan Bremner and uh, Bobby Carlyle and that that's brilliant, you know, getting to direct Begbie. I'm like, fucking hell. Mm-hmm. That's Begbie. Because some, di- some of you, arguably, which some of the biggest stars in the UK. Yeah, I was directing Robert, uh, I was directing Robert Carlyle and he was away going to a TV series back to Canada, which was massive at the time, you know, and he's have, sitting having a laugh with me and then I'm telling him we tricks to fix his back and kind of like shit like that. Or I was away directing Ewan Bremner or uh, doing all the stunt doubles or like then when they're younger. It was just brilliant. And to, to have that, for me was great and I remember <laughs> I was in the jeep like what used to happen was we would go and do these things called technical reckies where there'd be like two buses for the, the normal crew mm-hmm. and there'd be two Range Rovers for the VIPs mm-hmm. and I kept on trying to go on the bus with the normal crew oh right and they're going now Gary you're in the Range Rovers and I'm like Sh-. and I'm, so I had to get used to that oh wait a minute you're no just like no skivvy that's not what I mean you're no part of that you're part of that aye so I would sit in this Range Rover like remember my first week there and the guy Anthony Dodman was one of the biggest camera cinema photographers in the world he's sitting speaking to like fucking Oliver Stone in front of me he's my favourite director one of my favourite directors sorry Danny Uh, (laughs) and he's he's sitting speaking to Oliver Stone and Angelina Jolie right through the distance and I'm like and you go back to that thing at college when I first started and they're going I want a bit of this 
And now I'm sitting there going, you're getting a bit of this. And he was telling me something. He was like, I'm glad you're paying attention. I was literally sitting writing bars. I wasn't paying attention. He thought I was writing notes on what to, like on stuff. <laughs> I was writing bars because I was waiting. My tats making a song. So I was directing Trainspotting and then fucking off with Trainspotting, going to the studio, laying down bars and then going back to the job. And the reason that I'd done that is Did because... Did you correct him? No. <laughs> no but, Smart guy. But what did happen was one time that Anthony was saying something about taking notes like what are you writing I was like I'm writing a poem because sometimes I find that I just need to write ah, I write poetry first energy. and it becomes a rap song usually but I write poetry constantly for my own sanity but then he says to me oh Danny's first film was done in poetry and I had to go and look at Danny's film and it was done the way that I wanted to do it so it was weird you know I felt like oh this is what you do and I remember just quite a few times like Anthony and that just boosting my self esteem you know got one of the top camera operators in the world and You'd go out to dinner with him and, and it was just... I treat you like an equal. Aye, and it was amazing. You know, he's like, Gary, you've got it. That's what, I've got one of the fucking top cinema photographers in the world. He's sentencing to me, Gary, no, you've got this. Like, you, you've got to be good as a director. You, you understand people. And that was great. Like, to get told that for fucking somebody who's so accomplished, some so high up and all that, that was great for me because he didn't start film school until he was like 38 or 40 or something. Mm-hmm. It was ridiculous. And then you've got me going, wait a minute here this is just the start like I'm thinking that I'm probably at an end and it's like no this is just the start of your thing now because you're working on Danny's film and the time comes for you you've got to so the grey area the, when Trainspotting finished we went right into then the grey area and, and it was weird because I'm no anti-BBC but like suddenly for me to be making us, I, I was watching the social media and going I knew he's got to fucking sell it Working with the BBC. <laughs> I'm like, fuck you, you come and give me wages in. <laughs> so then I'm, I'm making something for the BBC and and it was violent, it was fucking thought-provoking, it had original rap music in it and I'm trying to put songs in for other people, not just Sean, but like put songs in for other people, give me your music, I'll try and get this in and paying me Kip Cozy for fucking stuff and like beats in that. So try to pay people, not just me going, right, I just give me it all for me. What do you do? What do you like try to get... And then we went and went down the grey area right after it. And it was obviously that was just a pilot, but you know. It was just even just you'll be working for like an organisation like that, especially going for like train spotting too, then working for the BBC, obviously people get their opinions, but still it's quite an established organisation. man, and I make I'm I am i am here to make movies or, or TV for large audiences and you didn't get that through Snapchat, YouTube and, mm-hmm. and but I know you get sunk for that, but you didn't get paid for YouTube like that, do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I know. I think for me, like, I do make stuff for broadcasters and I do make stuff for cinema and I hopefully do make stuff for TV series, so like video on demand. So, aye, it was great. And after that, I got a phone call for the the producer. Like, I got to go down to London as part... It wasn't just on set with Trainspot and, like, they let me come in and edit and that down London. They oh, paid really? for me to go down there and uh, go to the grade and all that as well. So, because I was going to be in the grade soon with my own stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I was... I don't know what you know what grading in that is but like no. grade so when you make a movie after you have the, the picture lock and all that sort of stuff you then have the sound design and then after the sound design you have a thing called the grade so there's other processes it's not just obviously being it in set so I got to go down to the Dolby Studios and that down there and I, I made a good impression again and when I was leaving Danny I was like have you got any advice for me as a sort of moving with my stuff and he's like uh, I was he says make a horror like, because he was going talking about his 28 days later, he was like, just make a horror and make shitloads of money and you can do whatever you want after that. But he did say to me, take it inch by motherfucking inch, was, was what he says. And that was, was was very telling to me because then I looked at my process as a director and I would think of all these ideas and think, oh, 
and I had to narrow it all back in again and, and take it scene by scene and then scene by scene came shot by shot and suddenly I, I became a painter with, with, with the things. You know, you look at my stuff, it is very visceral, you know, it's not, I have to get a cinema photographer in to do it, but, you know, it is very visceral now. It is trying to tell more than just having somebody, two people on camera talking. You're trying to visually tell the story and how you look at wee things to add in, but... Andrew McDonald says to me, like I remember we went to the, the, the premiere and it was a great success and Andrew says to me, he's like, look, it's like when Danny was your age, he was getting knocked back for everything. He's like, you're going to get knocked back for everything now as well. Like, don't he believe, and they, they told me all that. Like, I think the normal person in the street for that set, Gary's in Hollywood now, the reality is it's not. You're still on housing benefit, you're still fucking got to be homeless again. You've still got all the shit to go through. Be prepared for it. Aye. And act accordingly. So then it's like... Uh, do you want to go and pick up Danny's bath for him in January because he's in New York? And I was like, aye. So then I found myself going to the bath picking up his fucking bath Fucking bathtub. hell, man. And I thought, like, they were going to play a VT clip. And then I would, you know, like, I, my only experience at award shows, like, when I won my bath I was fucked. Like, I was jaked up to my fucking eyeballs. So to come back straight, and be like, like, okay, you know, got a banging bud beside me, I've got the tuxedo on, I'm fucking feeling a bit good, you know, I'm, I'm looking good, and I'm no drinking, I'm no smoking weed, I'm trying to just, like, be in the moment and that, and then picking up his bafta, I thought it was, like, naked gun, right? You know, the fucking Leslie come to the grey hair and that, I thought it was going to be like that, but there was going to be a video, I would come up, take the bafta, and fuck off. Ah, you'd be off and they'd notice you. That didn't happen, they were like, uh, push me on stage, the, bit, the winner is Danny Boyle, da, da, da. and then they pushed me on stage, and I was like, fuck! So I'm now standing in front of this big audience, not prepared for anything, and I was like, fucking Did you have to say a speech? Aye, and I didn't... And I, did you just have to pure fucking wing yeah, They're like that to me. I was like, I, the only thing I'd seen this in the movies was like, I'd like to thank a great cast and a great crew for an amazing job and try to walk off, and the woman, the big cunt for Game of Thrones, I was fucking hate people touching me, it's that thing for the jail, you know, I was like, <laughs> get your hands off me. So I'm on stage now, like, get your hands, and they're like, no, you need to, and they're trying to push me back on, they're going, no, you need to tell them who you are. I just went, I'm Danny Boyle's love child, and just. <laughs> Did you say that? <laughs> Whole audience burst out laughing. I'm thinking my farter was gone, gone. I think I've got away with this, and I'm not too sure. I got in the corner, and the woman from the bathroom ran across to me and whipped the bathroom off me. Went, That's Danny's. <laughs> I said you would get off it. And the guy from Celebrity Love Island is like, Gary, me and you through the same places. I'm thinking, fucking doubt that. Man. <laughs> doubt that. But aye, it was good. And next again morning, I would, chose not to drink, chose not to smoke. And the next again morning, eight o'clock in the morning, I'm in the edit for the grey area and I've got two people for BBC checking out what we're doing and I, I just knocked it out of the park because I didn't, I, I, I was great to be there and it was an amazing experience to get to, for, but for me, the proof is in the pudding, like the next day morning, if I'd chosen to drink that night, I'd have been in the edit feeling sorry for myself, hungover, shit day, instead I've, I'd done the final cut of the grey the next again day and the broadcasters thought it was brilliant, they absolutely loved it and that was when I was like, okay, you've done it, man, you've not done transporting, but you've done your own thing, it's an hour of TV, but you've wrote this, you've directed, well, co-wrote it with Gary, you've directed it, and that, my company, do you know, that's fucking great for some company from your house, do you know what I mean? And it's not like I'm saying some company from your house is bad, but I own a company that wrote and directed something for BBC, and that was the same guy that can hardly read and hardly write. Mm -hmm. It just shows you've came a long way, and especially, as you say, it's getting clean, has been the catalyst for it because if, as you say, if you were drinking, taking drugs, and that none, none of this would have happened. Nah, or definitely. if it did happen, did I felt it fuck long ago? Yeah, definitely. You, 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 what you, what, the way you build your life is on the foundations. Do you know what I mean? It's easy to judge everything when it's going good. Everybody's fucking great when everybody's got money. Ah, it's when it's when the things superficial. Are dark, 
superficial. Mm-hmm. It's how do you react to that? And it's great, man. I, I, if you'd gone for the grey area to supply and demand, it's, it's been an amazing experience, you know? It's amazing, mate. And especially as seeing somebody that's come back from a background like yourself. Not I mean, you've been through the wars, you've been through, as you say, through the 90s and that, through the AIDS epidemic and that kind of stuff, drug addiction, jail and all that. And you came through the other end and you're a great person for it and you use it. You're no selfish way to try and help people as best you can in the same path as well good leaders create other leaders good writers create other writers you know like I want to see everybody around me we were in that workshop and you've seen it yourself there was a lot of talented people in there mm-hmm. but didn't have the means and the resources to elevate and pull everybody up at the same time and that's what gets frustrating you know like that's that thing about funding again but they, they just didn't want to fund the stuff that I'm putting out you know the grey areas we're still making that but that's not the BBC funding me that's the BBC now funding these other producers and I'm part of that as a team and a mm-hmm. creative team and it's like supply and demand like having Irvin come on board as a as an exec producer and try to put teams together now so I can that's what I mean about I've learned a lot for supply and demand like we've shot a year's worth of footage at Nebdo C Nebdo C a year's worth of fucking footage Nebdo what are you going to do with it? nothing are you going to use it maybe as part of the documentary well what I was going to do for us is I was going to have a, a screening where I was going to do the best that I can with the scenes and stuff like that we've got two proper scenes that we have shot so I was going to have a screen and show the two scenes and say to everybody probably do this in January but just have a private screen in so it can't go into social media the, 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 the footage can't go out and then say look this is what we're aiming for and then I can sort of say this is where we're going this year basically so that would be a way for me paying everybody back ideally I would have wanted to do it in December or November but I think it's just been a bit hassle for me to try and fucking it's been a lot of work you know what I mean so aye. I'd like to have a screen in the barber shop with all the stuff that we have shot and then just take it for there but I think June, July this year no matter what supply and demand will be getting done you know that's it that's a way to end it supply and demand this summer <laughs> I've just realised the time just got to wrap it up is there anything else you want to promote or anything you want to say for the podcast Um, I think it's more the rap stuff like I was watching the Sherlock and Zesh beef for mm-hmm. a distance and it disappoints me the beef disappoints me Sean's actions disappoint me and the continuation it disappoints me because Scotland is so fucking small that sometimes these guys if they hooked up I do great things aye I know but it doesn't happen you know I try to reach out to Melrose and say that and, and try and be the peacekeeper and the street country me felt like an absolute bam aye you know guys can you know just make up you know like fucking felt like an idiot but I think yeah I think this country is stronger I feel like a fucking political ad right now but I think this country <laughs> is stronger together you know it needs but something like you saying it but, but it needs what I mean. it because it needs it if it's need, come need maturity you. on it because what difference does it make if violence is it, like why become a rapper and still be violent Mm-hmm. like surely we should use that stuff to show all the wee cunts and that that are doing the drum music that they're better than it mm-hmm. and if cunts in America can do it where their lives are really on the line like these guys lives are on the line when they see each other they'll have a fight but if I'm not saying it then what type of responsible person am I to, to, to what the stuff that I'm putting out and the music that I'm putting out I'm not trying to glamorise stuff but I'm trying to say like people need to talk and, and try and figure it away because I think it gives so much strength to have cunts for Edinburgh, Glasgow, Dundee, Aberdeen, the Giller, and try to push the social commentary stuff forward. And I know it's rap, and I know it's competitive, and I love the, the competitiveness in that when it's in the music, but when you take it to the street stuff, and that that's not even saying that one person's right and one person's wrong, but at some point there needs to be maturity around the situation. 
you know what I mean? Like, I met Sherlock at fucking sketches and thought it was all right. So that's why I've never heard anything. That's why I can't see anything bad. guys, heavy sound, so is Sean as well. Exactly. It's funny, lads, so I don't see any reason the why they couldn't sit. But yeah, it is, it's one of the things, I think. And it might just be that thing that you just let them go over and dummy when they see each other. But I just think, for me anyway, and, and I, I don't need to speak like this, do you know what I mean? I'm a fucking film director who does my own thing and stay in my yeah. lane. But I did feel like that sort of thing. I've gone, man, it would be fucking great to see the two on a track. It would be. It and would that's, be. That, that's, that would be fucking amazing. It would be great for me as a director to have them acting. Mm-hmm. Short films between Glasgow and... Blah, blah, blah. But you feel like right now you can't really do any of that because I'm still a street car, I'm still loyal to what I'm loyal to. So yeah. I feel like I can't even come through here and use Melrose like that or use him. Uh, of course, that's of not course. an option. But for me in the future, you'd be going, fucking hell, man. Are the things that can year. be done, the greatness, the great Absolutely. things that can, can be Much done. Much more strength than fucking and unity than what there is in division. And there needs to be mere scheme cunts like that. And, and the wee cunt for, I say wee cunt, I think it's perfect big, the wee guy for Falkirk, Dom, that's because I'm got a feature on a track with him. Man, there's a man, an immense amount of talent there. Now, when I, like what, 2013, 2012, when I first started getting into Scottish rap, there was like four cunts would show up at a gig. No, it's starting to blossom, starting to blow up. There's talent there, do you know what I mean? But it can't just all be drill music either. No, I know. Half of these cunts have not done what they're saying they're doing, and if you're doing that, why are you talking about on a track? Mm -hmm. So there's some, there needs to be some maturity even in, like, I'm not bothered about a scene per se, that's not, that doesn't ever concern me, a scene. But there needs to be some accountability within that as well. Do you know what I mean? So, aye, man, I guess it's just trying to bring it's Christmas Day. and Well, it is Christmas Day, folks. It's Christmas Day. We're, wearing the, we're not wearing the hats on a Tuesday, for fuck's sake. You think we are? Nah, <laughs> but that, that sort of thing, I, I feel like it, it would be no right for me not to mention that while I was here. Because I liked watching the interview with Sherlock, and, and I know that like Sean has that sort of fucking thing as well, and Melrose, and like... I like it all. Do you know what I mean? So I just feel like, yeah, I just wanted to say that with um, the, the masculinity part of me feels like a bam for saying it. Nah, of course, like, of course no. It's, I feel the exact same way. A lot, a lot more can be done. See right now, it's like obviously there's that divide and that kind of stuff. You think of the things that could be done if all this beef shit gets squashed. And and it, of course, you understand, we'll see if somebody get fucking done in or stabbed or something, then it'd be a bit past that point. But we're at the point now, it can be salvaged. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not as if it's it's too serious at a point it's stuff people could put behind and them you know what pisses me off all the wee rap cunts that, that instigate it mm -hmm. like 1250 mm -hmm. instigate instigate is like the wee fucking prick that gets bullied at school can't he fight worth a fuck but wants to see Sherlock and Zesh like that and it does my nothing because they, 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 they didn't have any of the consequences for it they're Aye. just the ones putting all the oh, rah, rah, rah. and that's some bullshit Aye, definitely. Stop antagonising situations. All the wee rap cunts, stop antagonising the situation. Look at the maturity in it rather than looking at the division in it because we're all through the schemes. The real cunts are through the schemes and you need that to stick together. When you're all in the jail together, you have to get on or no. Aye, but you, you know aye. what I mean? There's mere unity. I try and say that with the wee guys from Abbott when they're gone. Because obviously I was raised up part for here and I go, oh, these Glasgow cunts. And, or these people, even if, now it's like a postcode here. And I was like, what the fuck? You're fighting over it's postcodes. Like it's man. You're like that. When you actually look at it, you're so fucking fighting. You got, you, it's, just, it's, it's invisible lines. It is. It's invisible lines in it, man. Yeah, man. So hopefully, like, in the new year or something, I'd love to see some sort of conversations around that because it needs to happen. Because imagine the strength and unity of cunts through the schemes in Aberdeen, Glasgow, Dundee, Edinburgh, Fife, Falkirk started working together. That is a revolution, and film can't do that, but hip hop as a collective culture can do that. But no way Creative Scotland input, and no way that, that public funding that's all going into it, because then they want it to be in a certain uh, way, and a certain. The way they want it told. Yeah, fuck them, man. Tell the truth. You know what I mean? And yeah, that's kind of where I was at. That's it, man. 
Tell the truth. <laughs> have a Merry Christmas, troops. Yari Fraser, thank you for coming on, my man. Have a Merry Christmas. Adios, troops. Have a good day. Enjoy your turkey. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, my man. That's amazing. Thank you, bro. I was just trying to see cut that there, so I was just checking the time. What time do you need to get the wings up? Uh, it was just the traffic, really. Ah, so I, I think you'll be alright now. See if it gets to the five o'clock. See, the ball has gone to Edinburgh, it's not too bad. It's maybe coming back. <coughs> I wasn't actually about to say anything about all that.